Well, good morning, everyone. Weren't you just so blessed by the worship? Come on. Wow. Oh, so moved up here, man. I'm glad no one stands in front of me because they probably have, they'd be, you know, plugging their ears and looking back saying, what is that guy doing? But uh, I just love to worship God. I think he's amazing. And uh, it's just a privilege to come together and worship God with, with all of you. And I want to say something. God is on the move. God is doing some awesome stuff. And uh, I'm excited. In fact, today we start a new series called Encounter. And a few weeks back, I just was thinking through uh, what was next after we finished our last series on, um, on relationships and um, you know, we, we got through our anniversary last Sunday. I, I just felt like God impressed on my heart that we, we as a people need a fresh encounter with the living God. We need a fresh encounter with the living God. And uh, so we're, over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about what that looks like and what, what needs to happen or what, how we can position ourselves to, to uh, experience a fresh encounter because in reality, I mean, if I could press an easy button and then an encounter happened, that would be amazing. It just doesn't work that way. There's no switch. There's no button. There's some things that we can do to prepare our hearts for a fresh move of God. And so that's what I'm going to talk about over these next several weeks is what is it that we can do to prepare our hearts for God? There's not a magic formula. Um, but we are hungry for God here. We are, we are hungry for God to move. We're hungry uh, to see what we see in the Word of God uh, actuated or alive in our lives today. You know, it's not something that we have to look back and say, it used to be like that in the olden days, or I remember when. I, I want to live that now, today. You know what I mean? And so... Uh, just, I'm just praying through what it is that we as a church can do to prepare our hearts for this move of God. Because I believe, uh, I, I'd go as far as to say, I know it's coming. I know, I know God, God desires to do His piece, His part, and I just want us to be ready for that. Amen? So today I want to talk to you about a word that probably is seldom used in, in the church, uh, unfortunately nowadays, and that is passion. I believe that if you want a fresh encounter with God, a fresh move of God in your heart, passion is going to be one of the elements that's going to be going on inside of you. I believe it with all my heart. And so I want to talk to you about that today. And um, I looked up the word passion, and this is what it said in the dictionary. A strong and barely controllable emotion. And as I look through the scriptures, I see people just passionate for Jesus, passionate for the things of God, passionate for God. And, and, uh, and so that's what, that's what we're going to go after. In fact, you know, um, as, I, as I look at that definition, I realize also, and you think about it this way, I know this, deep inside every Christian, I could ask every person that calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ, Deep inside every Christian is a desire to be passionate for God. There's a desire to love God and love the things of God and, and to go after Him with all their hearts. 
but somehow there's just stuff that gets in the way. And then, then we live in this strange culture. We, we live in a weird culture. And, and the amazing thing is that uh, in America, it's okay to be passionate about almost anything. You could be passionate about food, politics, restaurants, movies. You could be passionate about music. You could be passionate about, uh, about clothing, um, fashion. I don't know if I'm repeating myself, but I'm just thinking out loud. You could be passionate about sports and cars, and, and that's okay. But when we talk about being passionate for the things of God, we're talking, start to talk, ooh, like people are, you know, it, it's okay to be passionate about anything. You can be passionate about animals, insects, dinosaurs. My kids were passionate about dinosaurs when they were young. This is acceptable in our culture, is it not? Oh, whatever you're passionate about, go after it. You start talking about God and people uh, start to have a problem, you know? I remember... One time, if you don't know this, you should know this by now. If it's the first time, I'll give you some grace if your first time being here. But I'm a, a Pittsburgh Steelers football fan. And I'm a, there's a growing community. They call them Steeler Nation, even in Faith Chapel. All right? And, uh, <laughs> anyway, w- one time in my life, I had the opportunity to go to one of their games. And um, it was just amazing. It was just amazing. It was awesome. But I will tell you, I did not leave that place with, uh, the word is hoarse. I did not leave that place with my voice being hoarse from screaming. I have left times in the presence of God, or screaming, or yelling, or being loud, where my voice was hoarse. And I would, I mean, I I wouldn't regret it if I did leave that place with my voice being hoarse. But I tell you, I'm more passionate for the things of God than I am sports. And so... uh, but, but listen, in our culture, you know, just look at the, the sport. I'm just on this topic of sports for a second. In our culture, there are people that cry when their team loses. Right? There are people that dance and shout and celebrate and parade and do all kinds of craziness when their team wins. In fact, some of the people attending the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals got a lot more passion than us in the church. And so, uh, you know, so we can dance. It's okay when you're, when you're excited about sports or you're passionate about sports that you can get up and shout and dance and all that stuff. It's okay to have passions. But your one passion should be Jesus Christ. And I think in our culture... We, we've twisted some things around, and things that should be our greatest passion have become one of our lesser passions. And the things that shouldn't be our greatest passion have become our greatest passion. So uh, this is all a setup for us to position our hearts for a fresh encounter with God. We need a move of God in this church. We need a move of God in this city. I mean, look at our city. Can you imagine when the church is alive and well and filled with the things of God and passionate about the things of God? I think our city can change. Our state needs a fresh move of God. Our nation needs a fresh move of God. And it's on the church. It's not that God's withholding something from us. 
I believe that God desires more than you could ever know to begin to move. And I just love that word that Mary gave today. Uh, you know, it's, it sort of just lines up with, um, you know, what James says, where we begin, to, uh, we begin to seek after the Lord and he will seek after us. He, he says it in a different way, which the verse just escaped me for a second, but uh, I, don't, I don't remember. What? Yeah, draw near to me. And I will draw near to you. Thank you for that. Sometimes when you stand and you have a million lights on you and you can't, you don't, I don't remember things sometimes, but anyway, it's in my heart. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. And it's, it's really up to us to take that first step to say, God, I'm, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm going to do something here. And so um, we're, we're just setting ourselves up to, to move toward God. And so if we get all kinds of loud in a game, people say he or she is a real fan. If we get all kinds of loud in the church, we're not called fans. We're called fanatics, like nutcases. And there's something wrong there. And, but I do, I, I've seen nutcases in the church. I have. Uh, but the reality is what is going on inside of our hearts? You know, I, I think we, I, I love this church. I think we're a worshiping church, but I think we could take it up a notch. I went to a men's conference about a month ago. Um, a friend of mine's church, he invited us down and uh, we were there, my son and I, we were there and I was shocked, what I, shocked by what I saw. The, the band got up there and all of the men, every, all of the men from that church we're up at the front altar worshiping God. I mean, passionately. No one told them to come up. No one said, you got to get up here. They were just up there. And I was just, I was sitting in my seat like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. You know, I, I think men need to get some passion as it relates to the Lord, the things of the Lord. Amen. And I'm not here to beat anyone up. I'm not here to make people feel guilty of anything. I'm just saying, when we look at the scriptures we, we see something different than what we see in, in our current day. And I think when we, when we consider that, it's the scriptures that should guide our actions and our beliefs more so than our culture, right? We could be here to impact our culture. And so um, there's some things that really in, in our culture sort of hold us back. I mean... If I, I know many of you in this room, and, and I know that there's some things that, that kill passion in your life, there's, and they're legitimate things. Like, who in this room doesn't have a busy, busy schedule? I mean, some of us are so stinking busy, it, it has a way of killing passion. And so, uh, one of the passion killers is an unhealthy schedule. Either we're too busy, or we're not busy enough. And believe it or not, people who are not busy enough, that has a tendency to kill people's passion as well. I, I can't explain it. I just know it. Uh, and and people, people who aren't busy enough need to engage. People who are too busy need to disengage in order to give their time to the things that matter the most. So uh, an unhealthy schedule can be a passion killer. Unused gifts can be a passion killer. Unused gifts. You know, your gift is to be used for, the be for my benefit and the benefit of the other people in the body of Christ. 
and their gifts are to be used for your benefit, right? And so if people are just sitting on their gift, there's some gifts missing in the body of Christ. There's the benefit that, that the body can, can uh, glean or, or um, receive is missing. And so unused gifts can kill passion because in reality, I can't explain this, it's a supernatural thing, but let me tell you something. You go to serve someone else and God does something in your heart. You are many times more blessed by serving someone else and blessing someone else and caring for someone else than that person that you went to bless us. I don't get it. I can't explain it. It's just one of these, one of these principles of the kingdom. That's why Jesus said that uh, you, you want to be greater, serve. You know, in, in our culture, it's the higher you go, the more greater you are. In Jesus' Jesus's kingdom culture, the lower you go, the greater you are. And so we can, one of the passion killers is us sitting on our gifts, not giving it away, not caring for people, not, not ministering to people. A third one, hidden sin. And I'll say, few things rob your passion more than guilt. And the reality is, if we're living in hidden sin, if we, if we have hidden sin, I would just encourage you as a pastor, um, deal with it. Bring it before God. He's so kind. He's so gracious. He's already, he's already paid the price for it, Right? He already loves you through it and past it. He's not, he's, not just, he's not angry and frustrated with you. He's trying to help you be free enough and trust him enough to come clean so that, so that you can move past it. He's got great plans for you. And those plans are way beyond some, some small stupid thing that you've done that will hang you up for years and years and years. Just trust me. And, and so... What happens is you don't carry, if you've got hidden sin, you don't carry guilt full time, but you do have these glimpses and these time periods, these points in time where you're reminded of that guilt. You're reminded of that shame. And it's sort of as something that paralyzes you so that you can't step out and move toward God. And the best thing that you could do is just confess your sins to God. He's faithful. He's just. He'll forgive you of all your sins, Right? He'll bring about righteousness in your life. So, so hidden sin um, is a big deal because you can't feel guilt and passion at the same time. It's just a contradiction. You can't feel them both. You can't live in them both simultaneously. One pulls the other down. Uh, another passion killer is relational conflict. Now, we just got done doing an entire series on the original guide to healthy relationships. But just, just practically speaking, you wake up one day, you're excited, it's a great day, it's sunny in Syracuse, you know, you're, you're going to have a great day, you've got, you've got it all laid out, you're going to be successful, you're, everything's going to go good, and then all of a sudden you have some fight with your wife, or your husband, or your son, or your daughter, or some family member calls you and messes that entire day up, it kills your passion, right? Anyone ever have that happen to you? I know I have. And a passion killer is relational conflict. And believe me, the enemy can work in any of these areas. He wants to keep us so that we're limited in our passion and expression toward God. Another passion killer is isolation. You're not surrounding yourself with other passionate, 
followers of Jesus. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. If you are isolated, you're not, your iron's not going to be sharpened. And get around people that, that can stir you up, that can make your baby jump. I'll explain that. <laughs> Do you remember Elizabeth? Uh, Elizabeth, um, she was carrying a baby about three months before Jesus was conceived in the, in the womb of Mary. And they happened to be cousins, and they were both supernatural. Elizabeth was barren and in her old age, and Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit, the Bible says. And Elizabeth went to visit Mary. And in, as, they, as they entered the room together, uh, she said, The baby inside of me jumped when I came into your presence. And the reality is there's something about the presence of God on people's life or in, in this case, inside that person, Mary, that caused this passion, this, this, this excitement, this witness to, to uh, take place in Elizabeth. And John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, jumped within the womb. That's pretty powerful. Get around people that'll, that'll stir a passion in you like that. That's amazing, huh? Where you're looking for, man, I can't wait to meet, man. I'm, I'm so excited about uh, meeting because I know I encourage you, you encourage me, and God is on the move. And we need to encourage one another, right? The Bible says encourage one another as long as it's called today. We shouldn't give up meeting together. We should meet in the church, outside the church. We should spend time together, invest in each other so that we could be encouraged, um, And the last one that I'll share with you as far as a passion killer is this, spiritual starvation. Some people just aren't feeding themselves. You're not feeding yourself. And I will tell you, you'll starve if you're not pressing into the things of God, in the Word of God, worshiping God, spending time in prayer. It's spiritual starvation. It's malnourishment. It's not healthy. And when you're starved, you're not worried about passion. You're not concerned about passion. So um, the reality is in our life, in our culture, in our day-to-day living, we're going to face circumstances that will suck the very life out of us. And it's good to have something to fall back on so that our passion can be alive and well. In us, so that we could get through those moments of those challenges, those obstacles in life. And so I want to share with you just a few short stories. Here's my plan for today I'm going to share with you some stories about the high cost of low passion that we see in the Bible. And then we're going to give an opportunity. We're going to have the worship team to come up, and we're just going to go after God. We're going to go nuts for God. And we're going to believe God's going to show up. We are preparing our hearts for a fresh move of God because we need an encounter. We need an encounter with God. Amen? Amen. So let's, uh, let's look in the Word of God in Luke 19. I, I do believe the Word provides many, many comparisons between passionate people and those who are going through the motions or those who are stuck or those who have lost their passion or maybe never had it. And uh, in Luke 19, this is a story where Jesus is entering the city of Jerusalem. Many times it's preached on Palm Sunday. And um, 
it says this in 41. It says, as he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. In Luke, we skip down to Luke 44, 1944. It says, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. I didn't mention this, but all of the notes are in our app. You can get the notes, the, uh, the, the scriptures, and all that stuff. I would encourage you to refer to that because there's a basic outline in there that will help you uh, guide through this talk. But here Jesus, now you remember the setting, or you may remember the setting. The setting was this. It was a time of great celebration. I, I mean, they're, they're casting their... Their coats, they're cutting off palm branches and they're laying them on the road as Jesus is entering Jerusalem. They're dancing, they're shouting, there's excitement. And the next thing we know, Jesus is weeping. And it's very interesting, and I won't get into all of this, this passage, but really what, what we see in verse 44 is very powerful. He said this, you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. you we, we can miss a God moment. We can miss a move of God because we're lacking passion, because we're going through the motions, because we're not plugged in, we're not connected. And, and the people in that day, many of them miss the moment. They were expecting something else. They were, they were looking at Jesus with disdain. They were, they were upset that he was claiming himself to be God. And yet for years and years and years of their lives, they were devoted to the things of God. They had memorized scripture, all this stuff, but they missed their moment. And I'm telling you, I do not want to miss my moment. I don't want you to miss your moment. Years and years and years ago, I was a new Christian, and I, I remember uh, I was at a, a small group. It was a men's group, and the, the person who was leading the group asked a question. I guess it was just sort of like a, a, a starter, a kickstarter for the discussion that day, and he said, what is the greatest thing that you fear uh, as it relates to God? And for whatever reason, my response was this. I was a brand new Christian, so it wasn't like I was in the ministry and I was doing all this stuff. Um, But my response was this. I don't ever want to miss something that God has for me. My greatest fear is missing something that God has for me. That's what was my response at that point in time. And yet there's people all the time that miss their moment, their opportune time, their Kairos moment where, that, uh, that God has for them. And I believe many times it's become a, because of a lack of passion. And to me, this is a wake-up call for us. This is a wake-up call that we need to be aware of the season that we live in. Because the reality is you don't know your when. You don't know when your moment is, when your opportune time is. You don't know when that is. And I've missed my moments, you know? And I'm looking back and I'm saying, man, we can stop this. There's things that we can fix to move forward so that we don't miss our moments in God. I don't want to miss my moment. 
And so it's just, it's just a wake-up wake call for us because, listen to me, not all moments in life are created equally. Some of them have long-lasting effect, long-lasting impact. And so we should take our opportunities seriously. So I want to just take you through a few stories that will point out and drive home the point that I'm trying to make today. In the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, there's these two sons. They were actually twins named Esau and Jacob. And they, they actually, the Bible, they're notorious for wrestling, wrestling in their mother's womb. There was a prophetic word that came tied to them that the older would serve the younger. And uh, as they grew up, Esau was a hunter. He was a man of the field, and he was his father Isaac's favorite son. And that's really tough, man. Whenever I hear you're my favorite to one kid, to the exclusion of other kids, that bothers me a lot. We need to be careful how we communicate, right? Side note. Uh, the other son, the other son, Jacob, was the mother's favorite, and he was the youngest. He came out of the womb last between the two twins there. And he was sort of a, you know, he was a mom's boy. He was a cook. He, uh, you know, he, he wasn't a person of the field or anything like that. But um, I want you to just let your imagination stir with me for a moment because the scriptures do not say what I'm about to say, but this is my thinking. You know, my thinking is this, that Isaac, the father, would sit around with these boys and tell about their grandfather, Abraham. My thinking is that, uh, you know, he would tell stories about how God moved in his life, how Isaac at one point was on the altar about being to be sacrificed. Do you think his kids... I mean, conceivably could have heard these stories. Uh, that he was, but God provided a ram in the thicket. I mean, come on. How God called Abraham out of his entire family to go to a land he did not know. He had not been to before. I, I envision them be, sitting around a fire and just sharing all of these amazing stories about how God spoke to their grandfather Isaac or Abraham. And, and he would say, look, I want you to see the number of stars in the sky. And so will your offspring be. And even at a, a, an old age, as an old man, he hadn't conceived any children by his wife, Sarah. And God would remind him time and time again, listen, you see the sand that's on the seashore? Your offspring, I'm telling you, your offspring is going to be like that. And the Bible says that Abraham, uh, Abraham believed God. That's powerful. Even in the midst of impossibility, he believed God and made that impossible possible. And so I, I can envision Isaac sharing these stories with the boys. And, 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 and going a little bit further, it seems that one was a little bit more uh, drawn to these stories than the other and these sons. Esau being the hunter, it just seemed like that was his passion, hunting. And so he's probably sharpening his arrows and... Yeah, yeah, Dad, you told me that story before. You know, someone starts to have a conversation. One of the servants starts to have a conversation about a Canaanite woman. This guy Esau perks up. Oh, yeah, those ladies. But when, when we're talking about 
the, the things of God, it just seemed like Esau was a little bit less interested. And Jacob seemed to be more interested. And you're like, where in the world are you getting this from? I'll share it with you. I'll share it with you. So one day, one day Esau came back from a hunting expedition. And he was, the Bible says, famished. I mean, just hungry, hangry. He just wanted to eat, and it didn't matter what it would take. He wanted to eat. And so this guy Esau sees his brother Jacob cooking this beautiful pot of stew, and uh, lentil stew. And he says to his brother Jacob, "Can give me some of that. And Jacob said, if you give me your birthright, I'll give you the stew. Why was he concerned with the birthright? Because he saw this legacy that God was building. He knew that his descend- the descendants of his grandfather were going to be greater than the sea. He knew he was part of this family line. And he knew the birthright was automatically given to the oldest son, which was Esau. This is no accident. Jacob, yes, he was called a deceiver, right? But he was not stupid. He wanted that birthright. He wanted to be in that family line. He wanted the blessings that were being passed down from his grandfather to his father. He wanted to receive that blessing. It wasn't about the stew. It wasn't about the beans. You give me your birthright for this stew. I'll receive your blessing, the blessing that belongs to you for these beans. And Esau who seemed relatively uninterested, relatively passive, lacking passionate, passion for the things of God, said, sure, you feed me and I'll give you my birthright. It was a fair deal. It was an arrangement that was made. Esau gave away the greatest inheritance that he could have ever received from his family line for a bowl of stew. Now, if I were to ask you, Which one do you think was passionate for the things of God and which one do you think lacked passion for the things of God? I think you would clearly say Esau seems, based upon how you've described this story, that he was lacking either foresight, wisdom, or passion for the things of God. And he it cost him dearly. It cost this guy dearly because Jacob wanted the blessing, he got it, and he was passionate about this. He, he, he went after the blessing. And listen, this is what Genesis 27, 34 says. It says, okay, let me, let me set this up. So after the blessings passed and the time for Isaac to go home to be with the Lord is coming, he sensed he's, die, he's about to die. And he said, bring my sons, bring, uh, he told Esau, go out and kill something. Um, and bring it back to me, prepare it for me. I'm going I'm to give you my blessing. I'm going to bless you. Well, the mother heard this, and they deceived the father. They put on this, this, uh, this fur coat on Jacob because Esau was hairy. They made him smell like the outdoors. They cooked a meal. And Jacob went in and received the blessing from his father. Now look at Esau's regret after the fact. When Esau heard his father's words, which were, in essence, I've already given the blessing away, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. Listen to me. Esau missed his moment because of his 
lack of passion before God. There's a high cost for low passion. Amen. Amen. You see that? You see that? uh, There's another story really quick that I'll go through. David, King David. Um, This guy is just, he was an amazing man of God. He had his shortcomings. He had his pitfalls. But he was passionate for God. And when he became king of Jerusalem, he wanted to get the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God from where it was into Jerusalem. So he set up this tent. He... uh, he enlisted all of the, the Levites and the worshipers. And, I mean, they had this major, major movement. You want to talk about a parade. I counted in First, King, First Chronicles 13. There were over 800, 800 Levites, uh, tambourines, trumpeters, shofar blowers, cymbals, singers. I mean, over 800 And he had this big to-do about getting the Ark of the Covenant from Obed-Edom's house all the way into Jerusalem. And the Bible says that as they're bringing this Ark from Obed-Edom's house into Jerusalem, there's this great celebration because the Ark represented victory, hope. It represented the presence of God. And there's this great celebration. The Bible says that David was dancing with all his might. The Bible says that every six paces, one, two, three, four, five, six. He didn't go backwards. Uh, They took uh, a bull and a fattened calf and sacrificed it before the Lord. I mean, this guy was passionate. He was going nuts before God, singing, shouting, going crazy Because the Ark of the Covenant was coming into Jerusalem. He was passionate for the things of God. Well, the story goes on. Actually, let's read 2 Samuel 6.14. It says this. 2 Samuel 6.14. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. Could you imagine the celebration? This is not just a few people. I'm talking about a horde of people, sacrifices, altars built, um, uh, sacrifices to the Lord as this ark is being ushered into Jerusalem. He was unashamed to praise God. He was unabandoned before God. He said, listen, he was just passionate for the, the things of God. He said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Huh? I mean, what an attitude. Not church again. I mean, it's Sunday again. Do we got to go today? No, he, he had, I, he's like, we get, to go to, we get to go to church? Come on, let's do this. And I'm telling you, that kind of attitude sets people up for a fresh move of God in their lives. That kind of attitude sets people up for an encounter from the Lord, that they are passionate for the things of God. We've got a long way to go. Amen. We've got a long way to go as a people of God to say, God, my heart is not right before you. So David comes into Jerusalem, and the Bible says that his wife, which was Saul's daughter, Michael, um, and she saw him just doing all this dancing before the Lord and shouting and, and, and sacrificing and praising God. She saw him from the window, and she looked down. And she looked at him, the Bible says, with disdain. Like, she was, she was upset that he would be so passionate for the things of God. 
And she, she was just, she was, she just didn't like what was going on. She said, David, you look like a fool doing what you're doing. The king should never do that. You look like a fool uh, dancing before the Lord. And let me tell you something. That's what religion says. Religion says, you know, the more you know, the more calm you need to be. And to me, that's a contradiction. The more you know about God, the crazier, more passionate, more in love for God that you should be. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, as you grow in God, you should be growing in passion. Because he's revealing more of himself to you. You're getting to discover him more and more and more. He's an amazing God. And so um, 2 Samuel 6.21, I'm just getting two parts of these two sequential verses, 21 and 22. This is what David said in response. In essence, he's saying, listen to me, girl, I am not worshiping for you. In fact, if you think, if you think this is about you, you're wrong. In fact, one of the ways we miss it is we think worship's about us. It is not about us. Oh, I don't like that song. Oh, it's too loud. Oh, we, we, you know, we sang that song before. Oh, this is a new... I mean, we find any reason to make worship about us. And we miss the entire point. David's, David's response shows that worship was not about him. It was about the greatness of God. This is what he said, Samuel, 2 Samuel 6, 21. I will celebrate before the Lord and I will become even more undignified than this. He's saying, if you've seen this, you ain't seen nothing yet. I've got a lot more inside of me. Because God is worthy of my praise. Come on. So if you look at your neighbor and you hate the way they worship, you need a fresh encounter with God. (laughs) So, uh, 25 Hundred years later, Jesus came into Jerusalem, not with the Ark of the Covenant. No, Jesus was the Covenant. And this is revisiting the story that I started off with. He came into the city. The people were shouting. They were rejoicing. It was Palm Sunday. It was it was a week before uh, his resurrection. It was Passion Week of all weeks. Passion Week. And, um, you know, people are worshiping, shouting, children are, are going nuts for God. And, and the Pharisees, the critics of that day, at least uh, critics critical toward Jesus, they tried to quiet the praise. They tried to quiet the praise. You, your people are too excited. Tell them to stop. Do you know Jesus' response? If these people don't praise me, the rocks are going to cry out. Right? So, so the, the unpassionate people toward Jesus were trying to quiet the passionate people toward Jesus. And he said, something's going to praise me because I deserve praise. The rocks will cry out if they got to, but I've got to get praise. And uh, so the reality is this. It only took a few short days till the Pharisees infected that crowd which was once praising him as the king and now, a few short days later, they're crying out, crucify, 
crucify, crucify. They began to believe a lie. They began to let their passion die. And everything changed. And so here we are, we find ourselves, and we could just have the worship team come up. I'm just going to move into that in just a minute. It's interesting. You could look this up yourself from that one verse uh, where Jesus, it says that they were celebrating him. It moves into Jesus weeping. From celebration to weeping. And he's weeping over the city of Jerusalem. And we're not told the full effect of why he was weeping, but I would guess that he saw destiny and purpose and a future on the people of that city. But somehow, some way, they had lost. They had lost something, because many, even though several celebrated him, many rejected him. I think for one aspect of it is he was weeping over their half-hearted life. In Revelation, Jesus speaks, speaking of the churches, he talks about losing our first love. You know, do the things that you did at first. Get back to that place where you had that passion. And maybe you're here today. Listen, this happens to every person at some point in time. Maybe you're here today and you feel like, man, I am nowhere near where I used to be in my love for God, my, my, my desire to see him glorify. I'm nowhere near that. And I, I just wonder if he, he still weeps over people who have lost their passion. If you're here today, you know what? It's not over. It's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. But I'm telling you, in order to prepare our hearts for a fresh move of God, passion is one of the key ingredients that needs to live in the people of God. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to open the altar. We're going to just spend a little time uh, in the presence of God. We're going to worship a little bit. I'll close the message. And maybe even after that, you just want to linger in the presence of God and say, man, I don't know. Listen to me. Sometimes I, you know, I have to check myself all the time. And sometimes I don't know where the things I used to have went. But I know that a passion for God is worth fighting for. It's worth giving everything, every ounce of energy that you have in your heart for. And today, I challenge you to say, you know what? I'm going to go after God. I'm going I'm to offer myself to God again. I'm going to surrender my life again. I, I'm going I'm to say, God, you are worthy. You know, I, I've taken some things back. I'm not going to let the rocks cry out for me. I am not going to let people at sports events tonight, which I will be watching, the NBA Finals. They're not going to outshout me. They're not going to praise God more than, than I'm going to praise God. Because God is worthy of much more than what we're giving him. Amen? Let's spend a few minutes in worship and then I'll come back and close. Amen?